Welcome to SlayerFest 98. I am one of your hosts, Philip Ellis. And I'm Ian Martin. I'm Kimberly Ann Southwick. And I'm Ian Carlos Crawford. Hello, everyone. It's been a while. Hi. Hello. We are here to talk about Angel Season 2's Darla. But first, here's Ryan Houlihan with a recap of what you need to know going into this episode. Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we learn that in the year 1800, Spike, lovelorn as always, wrote a poem to a fair maiden that he admired, but not having yet discovered his signature self-confidence or finesse, is embarrassed to a traumatizing degree when his love, Cecily, declares him quote-unquote beneath her. This is when Drusilla goes from victim to victimizer and takes advantage of Spike, turning him into a vampire. Later in 1880, Spike has teamed up with his gay boyfriend, Angelus, finally having his nickname and its associated swagger. When he's not inciting Ryan, he's arguing with his gay boyfriend Angelus about how he's too much of a loose cannon. Their bickering leads to Angel explaining to Spike what a slayer is and how one could thoroughly kick his ass. It was after this that Spike became obsessed with hunting down slayers to prove his worth, killing one during the Boxer Rebellion in 1900 and subsequently reveling in her entrails with his girlfriend Drusilla. Killing another in 1977, a slayer we later learn is named Nikki Wood and who had excellent taste in long leather coats. In the modern day, Buffy spends an episode making kissy faces to some loser named Riley. Meanwhile, Spike has been reduced to a shell of his former self due to a paramilitary organization putting a chip in his brain that shocks him every time he wants to do something violent. Because of this, Drusilla has left him and he is dating one of Buffy's airhead peers from her Sunnydale high days, a hilarious ingenue named Harmony. Actually, that guy Riley works for the paramilitary group that put a chip in his head. But much like him, it sounds more interesting than it is. And that's what you missed on Glee. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to give everyone my little spiel about our Patreon. Um, We'll be going through X-Men the Animated Series and Batman the Animated Series, um, as well as having still the Watch Club episodes um, and others other things like that. Uh, I'm getting rid of my nudie Judy, but bringing in more more content, um, and bringing in more tears, uh, and any and all support is much appreciated, and it helps keep me going with this podcast. Um, but yeah, let's get into the episode. Uh, Philip, what did you up top think? What do you think of this episode? Um, so it's always interesting watching, like rewatching a specific episode in isolation for this podcast, because I always think of the Dala arc just as a whole. Um, and it's so serialized that I always kind of end up forgetting which bits happen in which episode. Um, and I, I remember that this one was the the flashback one, mm. um, but I couldn't really remember m- much else about it. And there isn't really a huge amount of plot um, outside of the flashback bits. It's sort of nudging things along relationship wise yeah. for Angel and Dala. But I just, yeah, um, part of, a few bits of it dragged, but for the most part, it's just like, it's giving us all the things that I like. Uh, it, it's giving us like the vampire lore. It's giving us the Anne Rice gothic romance. Uh, it's giving us Julie Benz. <laughs> and she's doing like evil Dala in the flashbacks and then like fragile human Dala in the present. So it, like we're getting great rent range from her. Um, and it's just like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lore heavy episode. Um, so it's a nice meaty one to watch knowing that then, you know, we, uh, we're really going to get into it. So yeah, I, I've enjoyed revisiting it. Ian, what do you think? I'm a pretty big uh, Tim Minear fanboy for this season. Yes. He wrote what I consider all of the major bangers from season two, like that are all uh, feel 
consequential and important to the arc. And then um, the ones that are sort of guys will be guys and feel sort of tangential and, and side were written by someone else. So I don't know if that's fair. And I know a lot of times in the writer's room, uh, I have heard that the last person, the person whose name gone goes on the final script, you know, maybe wrote 60% of the script or, or whatever it may be. But as it happens, that is the case uh, this season. This is the high drama, gray angel, fun stuff from this season. Um, and it's, there's tons of uh, little beats and moments throughout that I really enjoy. Uh, also, yeah. the other thing, too, uh, to remember is that um, the night this aired, during Angel Season 2 and Buffy Season 5, there were two nights. One night, uh, Fool for Love aired, followed by Darla, which is just an incredible yeah. two hours of television in a single evening. And then a couple of months later, The Body aired, followed by Epiphany. I mean, in, in terms of that, the back-to-back pairing of these two shows, this season two, season five is some extraordinary television. And I do, I do think it comes through when watching Dala without watching Fool for Love first. Like some of the little gags make more sense knowing that they would have aired back-to-back with the the Spike cameos. Because obviously, Fool for Love is is Spike's origin story, and then this is Darla's. Yeah, and if you've never watched Angel, you watch Fool for Love in those flashback sequences and don't know that Angel has his soul in the Boxer Rebellion sequence, which completely changes the tenor of the scene, um, his motivation. It's it's wonderful the way these two episodes inform each other and reveal things in different ways. Yeah, I I actually love that not only does it inform fool for love, but like other flashbacks that we have already seen. Like, I really like that. It's like connecting other flashbacks. Um, like, you know, we get a, a, a view of angel getting his soul back from Darla, which we had never gotten from that point of view. Um, Kim, what do you, what do you think of this episode? Yeah. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the flashbacks. It's funny that you mentioned that about fool for love. Cause I was thinking that in this rewatch of this angel episode, not of that particularly, but thinking like, oh, like I, I wonder if there are flashbacks. I feel like I've seen this before and I didn't realize Angel had his soul. So like, yeah, not knowing that while I was watching it even the second time, but being able to think that I always kind of regretted that I didn't start watching Angel like when I could have during mm. watching Buffy because I'm like a, a fool for those sorts of things, doing things in the quote unquote right order. Yeah, I think... It's weird because I, I do like this episode, but like you said, Philip, I do think some of it drags like a lot. Yeah, basically almost all of the present day plot. Yes. Uh, mainly because, and, and they point it out in this episode, Angel the show is really bad at being a detective mystery show. <laughs> <laughs> and so they have a mystery, which is we where is Dala? They spend the episode solving the mystery of where is Dala, except they don't solve the mystery. Spoiler alert, she is just delivered to Angel at the end via machinations. <laughs> that is Well, and there's there's something about the mystery that the team needs to solve being shown to us, the audience, the entire time. Where is Darla? Oh, she's at Wolfram and Hart. Oh. <laughs> that is, yeah, that you know, I hadn't thought about that, but that is a good point. Because it's like often and that's what I said about the beginning of this this season, too, that I wish we hadn't known. Oh, I wish we hadn't known that was Darla the whole time and been seeing Darla when it's like she's trying to trick him because, like, 
I don't, then there's not a mystery. Like, isn't the mystery for us, not just for Angel? Like, isn't like the, the audience supposed to be engaging with the mystery? And we're not, if we already know the answer. Yeah. One thing that always bugged me uh, about this season a little bit too, is the way up leading up to this episode, the ways in which they invent reasons for Angel not to tell anyone that he's having these dreams. Right. And we've already seen with Somnambulist that Angel's dreams are relevant and significant to times of modern day. So there's lots of reasons for him to share the things that he's going through. And in the scene where he almost shares what he's going through and why he's been oversleeping, the powers that be send Cordelia a message conveniently to interrupt him telling everyone so that we can extend this drama and tension a little bit longer, which isn't even that dramatic or tense because we know it's real and it's her. And so it's just frustrating. It's not, it's, it's not building uh, intensity. It's just ridiculous. It's the, it's the early 2000s, well, late 90s, early 2000s model of TV where they have 22 hours to fill. And so yeah. like, yeah. we just, we just need to like really, you know, sort of wring as much plot out of this section of the story as we can before we move on to the next bit. And I, what I like about this is we're kind of in that middle bit where we know Dala's back. We know she's human. Everyone knows that, but we're not in the really great stuff coming in the next couple of episodes. So it's sort of like, it's like a hinge point yeah. where between sort of the two halves of the, um, of that storyline, I would say. Uh, but yeah, so to, to get into the the cold open, you could always tell that angel is down bad when he breaks out that sketchbook. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he's really good. He's really good. <laughs> it kind of looks like my mom, like the thing, the, the picture he was drawing initially, it was really weird. Oh, yeah, I'll have to look back at that. I didn't I didn't even notice that. I love how we don't see all the um, scatters on the floor and we just get like, it's like Wesley's like bothering him, you know? And yeah, like, it's a nice reveal. I'm fine. But like, you know, he we can tell he's not fine. We know Wesley can tell. But then like, yeah, we get the all the stuff on the floor and we're like, oh, okay. That's why you're being such a pest. <laughs> yeah, like he's, he's not good. <laughs> yeah, there's a, and when in the following scene, you move into Lindsay coming home and Darla has messed up his pad specifically uh, breaking every window. There's a whole, and I think I've talked about it on other appearances on this podcast, but there's a whole recurring mirror motif. Yeah. I you have mentioned that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's a whole recurring mirror motif throughout the whole story. Uh, the season opens with angel breaking a mirror in which he can only see the team which foreshadows him later uh, firing the team. When he's talking to the Tish McGev, the Tish says to him, you're reflected in the people around you. When you're a vampire, your reflection is the people that you keep. And um, him firing the team is significant of him not wanting to see the evil things he's done, like locking a bunch of lawyers up. Spoiler alert. (laughs) And Darla breaking all of the mirrors in Lindsay's uh, place continues that motif of just now that her soul is back, she can see herself. She can see what she's done and she doesn't like what she's seen. And there's a really great bit that I noticed in that sequence this time that I hadn't seen before where Lindsay looks at the wall and there are two remaining pieces of mirror stuck in the frame. And Lindsay has two reflections. Lindsay has the reflection of himself that showed up in blind date and asked angel for help and to save the children. And then Lindsay has the Wolfram and Hart reflection of himself. So even Lindsay has a a duality represented in the mirrors. 
Oh, I have a lot to say about Lindsay's duality later on. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I say so. This was part of the episode that I, I completely forgot about, and when that when yeah, so when we cut from Angel in the hotel to uh, Lindsay and Darla, like she's sort of sitting there in like this fugue state, and her hands are covered in blood. And I was like, oh, well, we meant to think for a moment that she'd attempted suicide because it literally looks like she'd cut her wrists. Like she's sort of, you know, on this downward guilt spiral. She's doing that sort of childlike loopy talking that we normally get from Drusilla as well. Yes. Yes. I had this thought at first. I was like, oh, is she, did she try to kill herself? So that's interesting because then later I was like, oh, no, you just made that up, Kim. So that you're saying that validates my initial thought. Like it would have been a really bold move to open the episode with her just dead. <laughs> 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 and we get exhibit... 50 in the case for Lindsay McDonald is gay, Your Honor, when uh, Darla says, do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a boyfriend? Uh, and he's just sort of like, he's like, oh, no. Um, and we get, and there's more later, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to flag that. Um, oh, God, you know, yeah. Yes. A, <laughs> there is more later. <laughs> you you know, Ian, you just mentioned Blind Date, the, uh, the episode that I was on for last season. And oh, nice. so much of that episode was about Lindsay and his obsession with Angel. And we just, we're getting really into it here. Well, I will say, uh, Tim Minear came to a talk that we I had with uh, patron donors just surprised us and came in so we could, we turned it into an informal question and answer session with him and someone asked him uh said they loved the relationship between uh Lindsay and Angel and Tim said yeah did you did you pick up on the relationship between them did you see what we were doing so it does feel very deliberate oh it is 100% in the text i feel yeah and um, i love that reading then of the sort of the duality and and of course i mean spoiling uh slightly for later in the discussion i'm not the one you want to screw yes that's <laughs> exhibit 51 yeah, <laughs> so good so good Kim, also that would be you being like you probably want to fuck that dude but like we could still hook up <laughs> um yeah and so post credits we Cut to 1609, and it's Darla's origin, and I fucking love this scene so much. I love the way we play Darla here. And Kim, I'm curious what you think, because, like, for me, being, like, you know, like, cis dude, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, she's a sex worker, she doesn't give a shit, fuck, she's like, fuck God, he didn't do anything for me, this is, like, I love it. But, like, does it land for you as well like that? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Like, 100%. That scene was great. I mean, you know, like, even if it's the first time you've ever watched this, like, you know that's not a priest under there. Like, right. I don't know. She doesn't, though. Right. Right? right. So she, you can tell she's just really being herself and, like, is kind of, like, let me die in peace. But also, yeah. like, whatever. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, for that for that time period, I, I think that they, they've made her a bold but, like, honest character. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Because I, I like that, like, she's a sex worker, but it's not like she's like, oh, poor me. Oh, blah, blah. She's just like, yeah, I was a whore. And he's like, well, yeah. that too. And, like, yeah, she's yeah. not scared of him either. Like, I, that's what I love. The way she's kind of, like, deadpan, like, over it the entire scene. And, like, even <laughs> when he reveals his demon face, she's like, oh, I've seen you before. Like, there's a very weird little, it's it's not technically a throwback, but it feels like a throwback to Buffy season one to me in that. And not just in that the master's there, 
but kind of notoriously um, an issue they had in the first season of Buffy was the vampire, not prostheses, but the teeth, the, um, the, the, the teeth that they had to wear caused lisps. Um, Julie Benz has a pretty significant lisp when she's in vamp face in the season and they solved that problem in season two, but not across the board. They started getting better teeth, but you can hear when there's a vampire that is just in the scene for five minutes, as opposed to Spike or Drusilla, they're wearing the old season one teeth. Uh, and so the, the some vampires in season two have that lisp again. And then in three, it's gone completely because I guess they had developed enough of the vampire teeth. They didn't have to use the season one teeth. But when Mark Metcalf is talking from under the hood, I hear a little bit of that Buffy season one vampire teeth lisp. And it <laughs> feels feel oddly like- nostalgic to me. <laughs> uh, the, you know, the first season of Buffy is so campy cute. There's uh, So to have that callback in this dark, broody scene with leeches and bloodletting and, um, you know, it's so, it's so gritty otherwise, I think is really cute. And I, I guess it's sort of, um, I mean, A, it makes sense because I think the master probably has like bigger teeth than, you know, the other vampires. So maybe they just gave him his old his old teeth back. But also he's, uh, you know, he um, he has uh, eschewed uh, human features, uh, as we learn later on. He doesn't care about sounding like everyone else. But also there's a little bit where he's doing an Irish accent. <laughs> I can't even remember like the specific line, but he's like, "Oh, oh, like, well, you should have turned to God, and your soul might be better for it, or something like that." And it's just like, "Oh, is this just like you just ha- that?" Mark Metcalf is just like having a laugh because he knows that David Boreanaz is going to be doing his ridiculous accent <laughs> in another flashback in ten minutes. Time. <laughs> yeah, again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not making fun. Like, I, I, I certainly understand the the production issues they had for the season, and again, there's actually like a comforting return to Buffy season one feeling just hearing that little, that little uh, cue. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it, and it's, it's, it wasn't necessary, but I do love um, just finding out more about the master and Darla's relationship because they were such a, a yeah. duo in season one of Buffy. Like she was his, his right hand. And so, you know, when, when we learn later on that they, they were together for, you know, hundreds of years, uh, you know, removing her absence with Angel and that uh, he named her. It's yes. just so, It's and it, again, it's just like peak Anne Rice, like she's lying there, she's dying of syphilis and she's like, fuck God, like <laughs> let the devil take me, why not? It's, it's so cool, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it also tracks for Darla, even just like what we know at that point, right? It like really does. Like, I think I wrote down her notes, what she say, oh, God never did anything for me. Like, I just love her. This is like paints her completely the character of Darla. But like, even though we'd already gotten seasons of this character, right? Like, I feel like this is the like, perfect summation of Darla. She's dying. She doesn't give a shit. She's going to be honest. She's also not scared of this like, grotesque monster that's in her room. And I mean, a little bit of that is also like, she is dying. So sure, fine, whatever. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And like you, you, you know, she, she was a sex worker in the colonies. That life, that, that would have been, would have been a hard life. She is impossible to shock. Um, <laughs> and I, I know we've said this a lot about Spike, about, you know, how 
he is basically the same personality whether he has a soul or not whereas with angel it's like a hannibal lecter kind of situation um but dala similarly i feel like dala is as a vampire who she was as a person like that she like and and the master was drawn to that you know you you it's very much alluded to that he's been watching her for quite some time and he has seen something in her that he wants to give her he wants to give her a second life there's also there's a um I, I shouldn't even bring up the, uh, this reading because I'm not going to be able to do it complete justice, but there is an aspect to um, being a prostitute in that time period. They specifically mentioned that she is a person of property and money, which means that she probably had a patron during that time period. And, you know, it was a radically different profession in the colony times than than, than now, obviously. And it explains aspects of Darla's character as a vampire, where if she was uh, a woman of property, money, um, and got her way by pleasing and taking care of a patron male, that sets up the way she is with the vampires in her life, first by being taking the master as her patron and doing what she can to sort of please and take care of him. And she and Angel obviously have a deeply Oedipal relationship where she feeds him uh, victims and takes care of him. And um, has uh, when he kills his father, she steps into the role of Oedipal parental uh, character and sort of pleases him and keeps him happy because that's who she died as. Uh, in that situation uh, again this was brought up to me by um, someone else during a patron discussion and it was a wonderful inter- interpretation when you apply some knowledge of that profession during that particular time period um, that really is a wonderful way of informing her character that is i always like when you talk about the like momminess of it all because it it it's almost like each of the vampires in that foursome each have like an Oedipal complex, but also like, oh. like issue, but with a different character, right? It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's so well, weird. And, and it just gets Oedipal on Oedipal in this, in this episode, uh, Drew is calling, uh, Darla grandma. I loved that. Yes. <laughs> I loved how bad Darla was too. Yeah. Drew is calling Darla, uh, grandma and Darla says, don't call me that. And Darla's Drew says, like, no, we could be sisters. She says, she says, don't be cross. I could be your mummy. Yes. And in the trial in, uh, two or three episodes, right. she will be. She- so it's a wonderful bit of foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't sure. I was like, is that on purpose? Cause it's like, why would she say that? But it does feel like it has to be on purpose foreshadowing. I don't know. Oh, and having the psychic character say it as well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get a couple of the angel investigation scenes of like, you know, a thing that I, this is going to be, this is a aged like milk comparison, but this is the only thing I can think of is angel. This season is a lot like Harry Potter in book five, which I do love. That was like, what was my favorite of the series, blah, blah, blah. But like, I, I, was like he is such a dick to to Cordy and Wes this season like pretty consistently and they are right at like every step and he is just like this like shitty teen who refuses to listen to them oh my god he is so rude he's fucking rude to Cordelia like right? three times this episode and every t- single time Cordelia is right 
Like he's ignoring Cordelia when she's talking about how she has found where Darla was living. Like he's telling Cordelia to shut up and take a message when Cordelia literally has Darla on the phone (laughs) and he just won't listen to her. And I'm just like, Oh my God. There's another, um, thing that every time a detail from it emerges, I can't help but be frustrated by it. And it's specifically with Gunn's character. Gunn in season five falls into a problematic problematic reading of that character and and black people in the United States and so forth um, and that they stumbled into accidentally in a very similar way as the barrier gaze trope and so forth. But not only that, there's lots of evidence throughout the rest of the show that it's bullshit. And that is uh, Gunn in season five being known as just the muscle and his entire arc being driven by his, his entire arc in that season, which I both enjoy and understand the problematic aspects of it, as we do with all of this stuff. Things date. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but uh, in that this particular scene, he says, are you telling me they haven't figured out a way to write that off? He's the one yes. that uh, figures out uh, the way to figure out where Darla is to track uh, him down, them down. And so that whole degeneration of his character into it being just the muscle in order to motivate him having making the choices that he makes in season five, I find really frustrating as those beats add up throughout the show. Yeah. And like, even, even without that beat, he was the leader of his gang. So like, he's gotta be more than just the muscle. If he's the, he was the one in charge of all those people who I really hate that we just, they just kind of fade into the background. And then we get that one episode in season three where like the gang kind of comes back and then, yeah, which it. again is deeply problematic, but yeah. uh, it is what it is. I again, I think season five is still my favorite season of the show, but mm. I, I definitely, like, it's just like Buffy season six is my favorite season of the show, which is one of the most uh, debated seasons in terms of uh, when I hear people talking about it in the fandom, and I get it. Yeah, that is true. It is. Um, well, you know what, Ian, I. I think it was you that made me realize that I've been mixing up season two and three of Angel. It's easily done. It's easily done. (laughs) Yeah. Because I I think you were the one that pointed out that Reprise and Epiphany were the two episodes I love that are this season. And I just didn't remember their names. And I was like, oh, it is those episodes because those episodes are fantastic. But in my brain, that was season three. And that was a major reason why I loved season three. (laughs) I haven't learned the names of the episodes until I've had to write about them for uh, uh, my channel. So I'm right there with you. I'm terrible with names, memory, uh, names, places, dates. um, So, But writing about them seems to be the thing that that gets it stuck in my brain. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like. Buffy, I always knew the name anyway, but yeah, with Angel, it's like some of them I knew, like I knew my favorites, but that was kind of it. And a whole chunks of season two and three are pretty interchangeable, I think. Like, and also like there's both seasons have a really good Dala arc. So true. Yes. Well, I, I think Angel seasons struggle too with identity. I mean, Buffy's seasons all have a very clear identity because of the split season. You know, uh, season two of Angel, there is a, the split season is uh, Gray Angel and then the Pylea arc. Yeah. And season three of uh, Angel is the Holtz bit and then uh, Teenage Connor bit. 
is the is the split season. Season four is Ooh, yeah, Dark Cordy, <laughs> and then uh, the Jasmine stuff. And God, so many boo. times, I love one bit and hate the other. Um, but because I think you know there are split seasons, like a mini back arc to each one of these, it makes uh, seasons of Angel a little less identifiable. They 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 don't have as strong a through line feeling for me as a fan the way the Buffy seasons do. Also, Angel's wardrobe stays pretty much the same the entire way through. So, like, the promotional art, the way the characters look, it's really hard to tell them apart. Whereas, like, if you're watching season one Buffy and season three Buffy, Buffy, Xander, Willow, like, everyone looks different. Yeah, the fashion of Buffy dates every single season. It, yeah. it, it evolves. I mean, maybe five, six, and seven are closer together than one, two, and three. But um, between the high school, college, and then adult seasons, it evolves really massively. Whereas over on Angel, we are about to enter the era where you can track where you are in the season by what the hell Call of Delia is doing to her hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. the, 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 the main dated fashion for me in Angel uh, is the coked out club sequence in Lonely Hearts where they go with all the guys with sharp spiky hair and shoulder pads. Oh, the zoot uh, suits. The, yeah. yeah, the, yeah the, <laughs> you don't see those a lot later on, but even Lindsay has one of those in the early seasons. The Oddly, it's the male fashions for me that are more clearly, that more clearly evolve in the show. But speaking of fashion, just to get us back on track, uh, I'm going to take us into the next flashback because I, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like that's, these are the bits that we really want to talk about, not the, where is Darla, the, you know, mystery. Um, So Darla brings Angelus to meet the master. Um, She says, we cut a bloody swath through South Wales and Northern England. And as, as I was watching, I was like, okay, those things are not next to each other. Uh, <laughs> uh, like I, you know, I, I us guess Americans don't know anything about geography. <laughs> but I did love uh, Angel's line, "Oh, Yorkshireman, tough as leather," because <laughs> that feels correct. <laughs> <laughs> and then the master says, "Oh, we're we're the order, the order of Aurelius." And I just realized that they never actually explained what that is. But my assumption is it's like a ballroom house, and the master is their drag mother. Well, isn't that in? In season one, they do use that name, right? I, I guess. And it sort of just means like it's the master's group. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think in some of the, in the books and the comics, they sort of make more of the fact that like, because the master has this ancient powerful blood, that's why like Dala and Angel and Spike and Drusilla are such a big deal. Mm. I, don't, I don't know. I also had a, a very incredibly semantic quibble. Right. Uh, in this particular scene, not even a quibble, just something I'll throw out there. They brought up uh, Angel's pretty face in this season or in that scene. I can't remember the the specific line, and it it flashed me back to when uh, Giles in season one is reading the lore of Angel, and he, the the lore line is something to the effect of the vampire with the angelic face and. Uh, who has a more angelic face, uh, Angel or Spike? <laughs> you know, <laughs> no. traditionally, in what we think of as, and I'm not saying that David isn't a very handsome man, right? Uh, right. But I'm just saying that this that specific term, angelic, the features that I think of when I think of an angelic male face, 
I, that's never struck me quite before, but I think also like I hear Spike's voice in my head saying, Angel's bloody stupid. His hair <laughs> sticks up straight up and he's lame. Yes. You know, <laughs> Captain Forehead to the rescue. I think if we were naming any of these angelic vampires, Angel, like Darla looks like a cherub. Come yes. on. Yes. <laughs> I, I actually thought that's what you're going to say, Ian, like Darla more so. Um, sure. <laughs> I mean, I, obviously David Boreanaz as in Buffy season one is just like the prince of twinks. He, he does look... Uh, like somebody that Botticelli would have, you know, gone to jail over. But yeah, no, D- Darla, so that, uh, Darla, this is our first look at Darla in this scene as Darla, where she is uh, in all of her finery. Uh, she's in, you know, the, 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 the wig, the, the dress that pushes her boobs up to under her nose, the, be- the, the makeup, the beauty spot, it's giving Marie Antoinette. Um, and this is, so we're seeing Darla after a couple of hundred years with the master, going by this name that, you know, she, she can no longer remember who she was before. And I just love that. Yeah. In each of these, and it's, it's very much like what Ian was, was mentioning about, you know, um, the, the things that define Dala in her mortal life, we are seeing in these flashbacks, her, the way that her existence is defined by the men around her. And so this is like, she is leaving the, the sort of safety of the master and his order uh, to go on a whirlwind uh, with Angel. Yeah, thinking about that structure too, that I thought I was excited that they were going to try something a little different with it. I mean, so when she's turned again later this season, knowing that Darla always has a patron, the scene where she attacks Drusilla after Drew turns her and says, why? And Drew starts weeping and Darla reaches over and hugs her. I thought to myself, oh, is Drew going to be her new patron? Is is there going? Are they going to develop that uh, dynamic, that relationship? Is is Drew going to be the one that she's cared cares for now, the way she cared for the master and the way she cared for Angel? Unfortunately, the arc after the turn has some issues. Ian, do you know why that happened? What? Like what was that like? The way that does play is it really plays like Juliet Lando was unavailable to film the rest of that season, but then she goes to Buffy, so it feels like it was planned, right? Yeah. I, I, have, the, I have no idea. Uh, go ahead, Philip. I'm sorry. I, I do believe the Palia arc was written because Julie Benz wasn't available to do the I last couple of that. episodes. Yeah. I did hear that like Julie Benz and what the fuck Lindsay who's what's Lindsay actors Christian oh, Kane. Uh, Christian Kane I heard that they both were unavailable for the end of the season and that's why they did the Pylea arc but even so Drusilla maybe maybe that was like part of it cutting that because the Drusilla like her leaving between episodes feels so abrupt well and the I, I can't remember the name of the episode after um reunion so it goes the trial and then reunion Redefinition. The trial reunion redefinition. Yes, 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 uh, yes, yes. Redefinition is sort of the the episode where we were sort of like, okay, so Darla takes over Wolfram and Hart and tells Lindsay and Lila that they work for Drew and Darla now. And here we go, and the season's going to wrap up, and Angel is talking to himself and montaging like fucking crazy. And then... <laughs> They get set on fire and leave, and all of that's over. <laughs> and the arc meanders around until uh, Reprise and Epiphany, which are spectacular. 
but it's never clear. This never felt like the original plan. It's never clear what was going to happen. What were Darla and Drew's plans? It just sort of all uh, falls by the wayside. And yeah, it, it, who knows? It could have been behind the scenes. You know, even you mentioning reprise and epiphany, even like where they are placed in the season is weird, right? Because yeah. like, it feels like such a big deal. We're getting every character. It's like, and then we still have a, but like in my brain, Lindsay and Kate both left at the end of that arc, but Lindsay doesn't. Lindsay gets like two more episodes that aren't yeah. that good and then leaves. Um, well, the, 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 one of the reasons I've heard the justifications I've heard for uh, the split seasons in angel, because the split seasons all kind of occur around the same episode. It's episode 16 or 17, but right in that area, one big plot arc kind of wraps up and another one begins. And the explanation that I heard is that Angel was, and this may be speculative, but that Angel never got the same traction that Buffy did. It was always trying to um, develop uh, an audience and not as many people made the Buffy switch to Angel as they thought because Angel's very different than Buffy. And so right around that period is a phenomenon we don't really think about anymore in the streaming age was sweeps week. The big uh, week on television, most expensive advertising, the big cliffhangers occur and Buffy has the body during that period and all of that. And so I've, I've read that, and it may be speculative, that some of the impetus for having a big climactic moment during that point in the season arc is because it was... Uh, around that time in February when Sweeps Week was occurring. Um, okay, so I, I just, um, I'm sorry, I, I have so much more that I want to say about Angel rocking up to the Master's house and calling him ugly and broke. Right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kim, I want to hear your take on this scene because I love that at first she is defending the Master. She's like, you can't say that to him. But then we see her being like fully enamored with him. Oh, yeah. A hot cocky dude that like you just like turned and like you've got him wrapped around your finger because you're like showing him this new life and then now he's also showing you a new life and like the master isn't much to look at like yeah of course but yeah you got it you got to defend daddy for a moment <laughs> <laughs> that really is what it is right it's like bringing her new boyfriend home to dad and then it doesn't go yeah. well no, I mean it goes well for for Angel, right. for jealous, uh, but but not for Dad. <laughs> um, and I also this this all reminds me that like oh right the Master kind of was a fun villain we just didn't get enough of him because like I like the way he wavers between taking himself seriously and then making a joke. Oh, every time we get a little glimpse of the Master again, I really enjoy it. Like when he says, "Oh, I give it a century tops." Like that's just a great, good old fashioned yes. vampire joke. Yes. But that reminds me of him turning to uh, the Anointed One after the earthquake. Glory, glory, glory! What do you think? Five point one. Yes. Yeah. It's that same kind of beat. The Master has a pretty good sense of humor. Um, I had I had another like sort of uh, continuity question, and maybe. Um, Ian, you can answer this. Okay. Is is this in Sunnydale? Like, was the master already trapped, but like huh. under the under Sunnydale, like at this point in history? I don't, I don't think so. Think so? No, I think they're in the sewers of Europe, someplace. So it's just another another sewer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So moving on, uh, Angel is. <laughs> I don't know. He just like looked up Dala on like babynames.com for some reason. 
so that we can <laughs> learn that it is um it means dear one uh but that the master must have given it to her because it uh, her her human life predates the name and then uh, my notes are very spotty because I've literally only just watched the episode. <laughs> uh, does anyone else know what happens next? Lindsay brings her to Wolfram Hart. Is that and right? Now we go to the making of Spike, uh, Darla and or, or the, the the trio walking through, and Darla saying, "You won't even hurt me just a little bit." Oh, that's uh, which right. Is so chilling, and that's the uh, "Don't be cross, I could be your mummy" line. And then uh, Spike walks by, or rather, William. Oh, this everything about this everything about this 1880 scene is like totally up my alley i love like the introduction of drew i love her outfit though it's actually not my favorite we'll get to that later i love drew like just this is you know her when i bit into him i could hear the ocean and darla's oh, already that, done with her she's like of course you could yeah that such line a good is, line i wrote that line down too <laughs> i love it i love it because and, and then darla's like of course you did and she's uh-huh, like uh-huh. it's like darla and angel are that couple and angel brought home a third and darla is not vibing with her at all <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then I love the whole, oh, you, you know, she needs somebody else. And then like, here comes, I feel like we, we know exactly what William is like, you know, where he was before then. And we also know exactly where he was after then. And there's something really charming about getting this little in-between scene. Yeah. And it's like, we don't need that in-between, but it, it like, just like helps the lore, right, Cam? Like, I feel like it like expands the story in the universe. Yeah, it's it's fun and it is a little bit informative. Like we don't need that information exactly, but like it's so much fun to see. And you know what I wrote down in my notes for this scene, which is this is the first time I've noticed this, and then I noticed it for the rest of the episode. Dar- so Darla has her, you know, like we said, she has the angel face, and she has like her baby whisper voice that she does, that she does with Angel. But when she's talking to Drusilla, when she's talking to like the gang or people that she feels she doesn't need to trick. She uses a very much more like stern, confident voice. She uses her top voice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like she does. (laughs) (laughs) And I never noticed that before until this, until like this watch of this. It's like, she knows that Angel loves a a helpless baby damsel, but the rest of the world, she's like, Oh, you know what you, we know what, how things really are. Like, let's not fuck around. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, even when she's talking to the like the head of the Calderash clan, she does her baby whisper because again, it's like you said, it's like a man, so she's like trying to like play it up. But then she like talks to Drusilla and is like, "Quick, kill!" Like she's like annoyed with her, and I kind of love that, and I never realized that before. Um, I don't know, Ian, did you ever pick up on that? I think it just plays into that patron caretaker affect—not affectation, but sort of the quality that we were talking about. How she carries her life as a human into life as a vampire. I mean, the, the, the human life informs the vampire life and that cooing soft mother knows best voice is, I mean, just horrifying. And I don't know why they got so edible with, uh, angel the way they did, especially in the later seasons, but they did. And, um, uh, the, 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 the amount that I enjoy it the most is with Darla, but yeah, I the specifically when she's talking to the the Romani gentleman and says uh, is trying to get him to turn uh, to give up the info and then just breaks his neck. Um, it just shows you how calculated all of that is, how manipulative yes. 
she is. Um, one of my my favorite bits is in the prodigal when she says, uh, "Your father's dominance of you will last lifetimes." You know, Angel's just killed his dad, and and she says, "But you'll always lose, so you'll always need me." Yeah. Is the implication of that scene? It's chilling. Darla's wonderful. <laughs> she is mother. <laughs> yes. Yes. Does does she kill him so quickly because Spike has? Yes. killed the people that she was threatening to kill. Yeah, because she yeah, doesn't she, need him anymore. Yeah. She has no more leverage. Okay, I was assuming that, but I was just making sure because I didn't know if we knew that from some other episode or if we were just supposed to assume from this. And him coming out of that caravan and burping is <laughs> so funny. <laughs> and the annoyed look on her face when she's like, mm-hmm. ah. Because it's like, she clearly is the competent leader. And I think it, it, like what you said, like she... She does the cooing for Angelus, but like she's still the one in charge. Like she's definitely the like plotting like brains behind the like foursome, right? Yeah. I mean, we saw a we saw that same pivot in Dear Boy when they were under the water tower and she says, uh, my boy's still in there and he wants out. Oh, I'm not gonna scream. And then turns on him when he won't do what she says. So there's that same pivot from that sort of cooing yucky mommy thing to yucky mommy thing ian that's a great (laughs) phrase (laughs) to uh i I mean though that she is into him it's not just manipulation i think especially in the scene that we're we were just talking about with the master i think she really is she really does like him and likes that bravado that he's showing in that confidence. Well, what's interesting, I, 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 I think like is the choice word. What's interesting, but like comparing Darla and uh, Angel to Drew and Spike, Darla and Angel admit later in the show that they never really did love each other, did they? But uh, that, uh, you know, they can love Connor or uh, Connor can be the best thing that they ever did together. Drew and Spike profess their love for each other and spike even after he has his soul says he did love drew even if she was a a bit of a mess (laughs) you know yeah i was thinking more like i'm a fairly confident assertive woman but you know when i first meet someone a lot of the times i'm like (sighs) you know so I, i think in the beginning when we're seeing her in that scene where she sort of is like defending her her master and then we see her almost doing that. Like she's, she's got like the hard eyes for a second. Um, and then it does become a way that she has to, uh, the voice, right? Like becomes something that she has to use to keep manipulating him because uh, when he's jealous, at least she can't let him know how toppy she is or it's not going to work. Right. It's, they're not going to necessarily be together because they don't have that true love for each other. Yeah. His father dominated him. And that, and he rebelled. So she can't go that. Uh, uh, Liam's father in the prodigal dominated him and tried to control him, and so clearly that doesn't work. There, that wouldn't be a way of working on Angelus, who carries the remnants of Liam, Liam with him. And so her approach is the opposite the entire time. It is, you know, soothing and feeding and caring and. But but I think the, those those pivot switches throughout show that it is clearly that it is manipulation. But she's definitely into him for sure. Um, even from that scene in the Prodigal when he's in a bar fight, she's staring at him with those entranced eyes 
just kind of taken with uh, the force that he was even at that time. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's authentic, but I think even they say it isn't love. And, uh, you know, depending on where you fall with the series lore, I'm on the side of the that vampires can love, as Drusilla says, if not wisely. I, I'm too. I am too, Ian. <laughs> yeah. So their their relationship is just, it works for them both, even if it is deeply codependent and, as we said, a little bit of the, the ick factor, for sure. I feel about Angel and Darla the way a lot of fans feel about Buffy and Spike in that they might not be necessarily like great for each other, but it just makes for way better TV. <laughs> like yeah. it's so much more, it's what well, it's, it's hotter. Uh, it's, you know, cause like she's age yes. appropriate, but she's, she's not a 15 year old girl. Um, and it's just like, it's not a, a star crossed high school romance. It's, it's darker than that. It's realer than that. It's just endlessly compelling because they are both so complex and because they've got centuries of history. And so, yeah, I just, I, I think if I, you know, I, I obviously on Angel, we don't really ship the way that I think fans do on, on Buffy and Angel and Cordelia, you know what, by the end of the, by the end of that arc of it, and that sort of like those characters were like getting to grow so close that made great sense. But before we got there, we had this and I was here for this. Yeah. You know, when I watched, and I think I've said this a few times this season, when I watched these shows live, I definitely didn't appreciate Darla. Like, I definitely, because I think you're right, Philip. I do, but I wouldn't have agreed with that watching it live. Like, I would have, like, I don't know. I just would have been like, no, they're kind of boring. Like, I didn't appreciate, I don't know. Like, I I do think they love each other. Like, I, all that he does for her this season, and then what he does for her in season three for me is like, that is an ex that you love. Like, I know, I don't think he's like wanting to, he's in love with her now, but for me, the way he treats her isn't just your regular angel has to do the right thing and save people. It feels like, no, this is someone I deeply care about. And like, I have to save them because like he goes above and beyond. I hate, I hate, he does go above and beyond. I hate to bring it up then, but maybe what they're talking about is they never romantically loved each other, but maybe they loved each other as, that's fair. Mo- mother and son. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh God. Okay, I, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna, sorry. I'm, I'm going to move sorry. us along. I'm going to move oh. us along. Um, so, okay. Where were we? Uh, okay. So present day, uh, Lindsay has brought Darla to Wolfram and Hart because she is having a Barbie level existential crisis. <laughs> Holland anticipated that she was going to have some kind of breakdown because she is now experiencing all of the horrendous things that she did and she has a conscience. So it's, it's cracking her up. And then we have this scene in Lindsay's office where Darla falls back on the habit of many lifetimes and tries to seduce Lindsay. Uh, But then she said, and also God, his hair looks so good in that scene. I just have to say, and then she says, (laughs) it's not me. You want to screw it's him. Yep. Like you said, reason number 859 as to why they are, very gay for each other. Oh. <laughs> and then she bites him, which is exactly what I would do too. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, like, the pacing with Darla is what's weird this season too. Like, we talk about the Marvel shows a lot in those episodes. We kind of are like, oh, like, these kind of are, like, a lot of them show why the plus side of 22 episode seasons. Because it's like, you can get episodes just fleshing out characters. You can get, like, you know moments of character development in like a one-off episode 
but this the Darla arc here is almost like an argument against 22 episode seasons because there's so much before she gets going there's so much of like someone just sitting around with her until she turns into a vampire and it's I think her and Lindsay have they're both good actors but I think they have like negative chemistry it's I said this all the way back in, you know, the the blind date episode. Um, Darla is a very useful sexual proxy for Angel and Lindsay because it was the year 2000 and they yeah. weren't about to have these two beautiful men banging it out <laughs> on screen. Which is rude. But <laughs> I, I know. But um, but yeah, it's like they're like, oh, yeah, no, we're going to like he's going to be in love with Darla. And it's, it's it sort of makes sense from a character point of view that he would fixate on yeah. the woman that Angel has all this history with. And it's Julie Benz. Like she should have, she could have chemistry with a brick wall. And I feel like almost maybe it's an intentional choice that something just never quite clicks between Lindsay and Dana. That it's just like, no, no, he wants it too much, but for the wrong reasons. And she's only going to him because he's a safe place and he's sort of, e- you know, she can wrap him around her finger and he's easy. But it's like, there's nothing real there. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I kind of think the anti-chemistry works for what the scene is trying to say about the two characters and their motivations, like you said. And maybe that doesn't play as well as a scene between Buffy and Spike in season six or or, or what have you. But um, this is actually, uh, for me, seeing Julie get to play sort of the drama and the existential crisis that she's dealing with in the scene made me wish it's like seeing David do comedy in the show. You realize that David is having to play against his type a lot when he's playing angel, the, the dark dreary uh, brooding one. He just has so much fun playing comedy and that the, the scene with Julie sort of uh, dealing with that drama to me, I, I really enjoyed for me. I, I I'm with you Ian. I didn't really love Darla's character until this part of the arc. And then I sort of retroactively started to enjoy her character. It's like, I hate admitting this in any sort of fan forum, but I didn't really like faith until five by five. I I know I'm the worst. I'm the worst, (laughs) but that's, that's what I'm saying is that it's the internet. Every opinion exists. And unfortunately I have one of them. And, um, I didn't, that's, that's, I didn't really enjoy Faith's arc. It felt sort of on the nose to me and all of that until five by five. Hmm. And in five by five, that scene in the alleyway where she says, just kill me. And you see the, the vulnerability and the emotion and all of that kind of pour out in that sequence made me retroactively fall in love with her character again, you know, and there, and, and then I love you that start actually, I love hearing that. <laughs> yeah. And then you, then you start to pick up on lovely scenes between, you know, her mother was abusive and the mayor is playing on that in that sequence where not you though, you know, he treats her like a child in kind of a similar way that, that Darla and angel interact actually. But you know, he tell she tells him the story about jumping off the cliff so that's happened to me a couple of times where certain characters in um, these two shows didn't do it for me until one particular scene uh, occurred. And then I sort of went, have revisited the show over time and I'm like, oh my God, I love this character so much. It's so interesting that you say that because, I mean, there are so many similarities between Dala and Faith. And I think that they are the things that make them two of the most memorable characters for me. And especially 
in Angel rather than on Buffy because Angel is the show where yeah. characters get to kind of explore their dark side a lot more and, you know, n- no one's truly good or truly evil. Everybody has, like, lots of nitty-gritty, thorny, grey areas. Um, and the way that Angel treats Faith and Dala is very similar. Like, in, in, so in 5 by 5 in Sanctuary and then in this episode, it's like, you have done terrible things, but you're a human being, you you have it in you to to repent to to do better to yeah. to attempt to heal and find peace and he's desperate to give that to both of them because he when he you know for want of a better word became human when he had his soul when he got his soul back and he was suffering there was no one there for him yeah and so yeah there's sort of like faith and dala are kind of like uh mirrors to bring it back to yeah. the faith the season <laughs> well and and that's definitely something they do i mean with Buffy, the structure is that every episode, virtually every episode, is actually about Buffy. Even episodes that are ostensibly about Xander or about Willa are a way of exploring something that Buffy is dealing with for the arc of that season. Um, And uh, I I remember this because specifically in Wild at Heart, um, where Oz left, Whedon says in the audio commentary that this was the first episode where they decided to make that exception where Wild at Heart actually isn't about Buffy. It's just about Willow and Oz. And that was the first time where they sort of broke the mold that they were using the rest of the time. But I think definitely on Angel, I mean, in the first season of Angel, Doyle's line is, well, we've all got something to atone for. Everyone in Angel Investigations has something that they believe they're being punished for or something they believe they have to atone for because they're all sort of mirrors of Angel and and exploring the writer's sort of figuring out as they go, Angel and what he's feeling and what he's going through. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't, I would, I don't think I knew that, that they like purposely made every episode about Buffy, but Wild at Heart was like, where they were like, okay, this one's about Willow. Um, but I kind of love that. Yeah. The weight of the structure in Buffy can sometimes overburden the story. You know, the, the, them leading so, leaning so hard into symbol and metaphor Sometimes it's like okay, so uh, just 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 let the fiction be. Um, but most of the time, I think it's one of the reasons why we're still talking about Buffy and Angel to this day is because it's resonant and there is such a fascinating structure there. But uh, um, Philip, you were talking about the things that Angel is allowed to be that Buffy isn't, and one of the things that I think makes some of these darker explorations richer on Angel is that Angel has the dark moment. And then doesn't feel compelled to subvert it with a joke, mm. right? Uh, specific, mm. Specifically, the structure that I'm thinking of is in uh, becoming or uh, surprise and innocence. In innocence, uh, Buffy's boyfriend. She's just slept with her boyfriend, and her boyfriend has turned evil on her. You know, there's a wonderful metaphorical structure there. They're fighting in the the sprinklers, and he says, "You can't do it. You can't kill me." And it cuts to. Um, arm as Oz points to an arm uh, on the ground because that was that's Buffy is dark joke dark joke and Angel doesn't feel the need to do that and I think that it benefits the exploration of some of these uh, themes in ways where Buffy wasn't allowed to go too deep and when it did eventually in Buffy season six the fans are split on that season because it's the dark season it's so dark and that's the season that i love of buffy so um it's until i got to i that season was a favorite season of mine until that is maybe the only thing that i 
did not love as much when I revisited it for the podcast. Like the season six became pretty fucking rough. Oh my god, we were we were watching season six on this podcast <laughs> for ten years, and it was the pandemic for all of them. <laughs> that is a terrible time to watch Buffy season six. I remember Adam Sass pointing out that he had signed three different leases not even breaking them, but had three different leases in the time that we did season six. <laughs> uh, I kept taking breaks because it was just, and Philip, I remember you and I being like, ugh, when we got to dead things. Like, oh my God. I can remember oh you and God. I commiserating about that. <laughs> yes, I think I had a lot of wine while we were recording that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, so. Where are we? Oh, uh, um, uh, we're so. We're about to go to China. Ah, yes. 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 And yes. I have written down in my notes as, Post-curse chaos. Yes. <laughs> because this is the fool for love, like one, yeah. this is like the, you know, full connection. I believe before we go to China, though, we do get some of the home stuff, right? Where we have Darla, we talked a little bit about it earlier, Darla, like calling angel investigations on the phone. Right. So this uh, plot that Holland has set up to, to occur is in motion, I do love that scene where she's like, okay, fine. Darla, he can't come to the phone. He'll call you back later. Like I do yeah, love. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, this scene, yeah. So um, she calls Angel from Lindsay's office and she's like, help me, help me. And, uh, and then Lindsay's behind her. And at first I was like, oh, like they're baiting him. Like Darla is working with Lindsay and then it turns out, no, she actually is just reaching out for Angel and, and she's yeah. trying to get away from Lindsay. And then the security guard turns up and it's sort of just like quite a tense scene and Angel's just listening on the phone, which is like a great dramatic device because he's not entirely sure what's happening. He just knows that she's not safe. And then um, a gun goes off. And I really, the first time I watched this, I quite enjoyed the idea of like Darla and Lindsay have killed a man together and now they have to deal with it. Yeah. And that ultimately they, they, they cheat us out of that because I think they, they still yeah. want us to, um, to be on Darla's side as a human being. Yes. Um, and so it ends up that that was kind of some chicanery on Holland's part and the, the, the security guard faked his own death and that there must've been blanks in the gun or something. I don't, I don't, I don't, let's not, examine it too yeah too yeah i was i had that same thought process <laughs> while i was watching philip i was like wait a minute all right whatever <laughs> they, also, they, like, don't, they don't give us the information right like we're watching yeah. angel headquarters and even when we watch it on the tape yes we also don't see that moment right like we see the security officer fall right and we see oh. Lindsay help darla get out but we don't see like what happened yes Yes, but Lindsay's watching the footage, so like he should be able to be like, oh yeah, that guy didn't get shot, he pretended, but whatever. But yeah, Kim, what do you think of the the, the China of it all? The China or, like of the, it like all. The, 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 the scene <laughs> in China, the scene in China, that was bad wording. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this this scene, I mean, we, it gets broken into two scenes, yeah. but I guess I didn't remember or didn't realize that Angelus comes back as Angel and is like tagging along with Darla mm -hmm. during this time period. So that was interesting to me. One, that he would want to do that. And two, that knowing he has a soul that she can like smell on him, that she would quote, take him back. So that, that it just complicates their whole relationship to me. Yes. 
to me, it was he is, you know, he's spent some time out in the world with a soul. He's kind of like he's completely on his own. And so he goes back to the abusive family unit because at least it's familiar. Yeah. Yeah. With what happens, you know, with what we learn, this whole episode really is about Angel didn't have help when he got a soul. And now he's going to help Darla that she has a soul. Right. If we're going to like bundle yeah. it down into one little sentence. So for the purposes of that thesis statement of the episode, I think that that makes a lot of sense, Philip. There's a there's an interesting reading too of the um, the alcoholic metaphor of the show, which oh, yeah, has yeah. come up a couple of times in uh, uh, the Prodigal and Somnambulist, where Cordy is sort of his sponsor, um, helping him get through recovery. You know, one of the things when an alcoholic enters recovery and um, gives up drinking is they realize that their entire social circle is filled with drinkers. And um, it's not uncommon to try and hang out again with the people you used to drink with and to find that you no longer fit uh, in that same sort of thing. That doesn't always happen. Um, uh, you know, your choice doesn't have to be everyone's choice and so forth. But certainly some people who are dealing with addiction, uh, uh, you know, alcoholism on the level of addiction, don't like the reflection that they see with the sober person there and vice versa. And um, I think these sequences are sort of uh, also work as kind of a reading of, of that part of the, uh, the alcoholic recovery uh, in the sequence and sort of angel returning to what he knows, but still choosing to not drink in that sequence and uh, Darla not allowing for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love when you bring up that metaphor because I do think it works. Um, I guess it is going, just going back to the, like, what you know, what's comfortable because he, he's so alone. Right. And he, there's no one else. He can be like, Hey, you got a soul too. And you're a vampire. Blah, let's like commiserate. Like there literally is no one else for him to talk to about this. All of his family would be dead. Even if he yeah. hadn't killed them. Like He's lived far more time as a vampire than he ever did as a human. What he probably died of, uh, as a human being as 18, uh, 20 years old, you yeah. know, and then hundreds of years as a vampire. So there is s- sort of the great unknown and there's what, you know, and it's just so common to fall back into that pattern of it's this or nothing. And he does ask Darla to put the blade through the wall, kill him or take him back. Cause he just doesn't want to live as it is, as he is. And it's a kind of bottom, you know, uh, for those who have have experienced it, is sort of I'm going to jump off the bridge or I'm going to get better, but I'm not going to stay like this. Yeah. But the only get better Angel knows is to return to uh, what he used to be until Whistler shows him a better way. Uh, right. Whistler, his first sponsor. Buffy is his second. Cordy's his third. I love that. I love. I love when you say that Cordy is like his sponsor because it that just rings so true. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I always find it really interesting as well to sort of get a look into those lost years after he was cursed, but before he met Buffy. Because obviously in Are You Now or How You Ever Been, which is much, much later, it's the 20th century, but he lets a lot of people die. And he has a soul, but he just sort of doesn't care. And so we're seeing him earlier on where he's 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 got a soul. He's decided to that he would rather return to Dala and Drusilla and Spike. And he knows that they are killing 
multiple people every single night. And he's sort of just like trying to turn a blind eye to it. And he will kill when he has to, and he'll try and make it that it's all rapists and thieves and murderers. But like, he really has not defined his own moral code yet. He's just sort of like completely wallowing and and floundering until Dala forces his hand by offering him a baby. Yeah, I had a, initially when I watched this, I was like, oh, did he lie to Buffy? Because in Buffy season one, he says, Buffy season one, episode seven, he says, uh, the Romani turned me back. I haven't, or gave me my soul back. I haven't fed on another human being in all that time. And yet in this episode, Darla said, he says, I've killed people. And she says, rapists, murderers, thieves, and scoundrels, only evildoers. That's all you hunt now. First of all, as though Angel can know for certain that this person was a thief or in, in like back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back then the amount of, of insight you'd have to have to following the person around to know that. But then I was like, so does that mean he fed on them when he had a soul? But they do specifically say that Angel keeps slipping off to feed on vermin. So it's a weird, I'm not sure if they did that specifically because of the line in Buffy. I actually would prefer the headcanon that Angel was just embarrassed about this time period in his life. And so lied to Buffy and said that when I, once I got my soul back, I was, and he kind of does because we see the scene in the seventies later on in uh, when faith is in his head, when the man behind the counter gets shot and he feeds on that man. So he did lie to Buffy in that scene, but there's just a weird, why is he murdering people and not feeding on them and then feeding on it's the, again, his moral code, as you said, Philip is just very vague and unclear in this scene. It's like, well, I'm going to kill him, but I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to enjoy it. And therefore it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's it's as if to say that the, the evil act of vampirism is the blood sucking and not the murder, (laughs) 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 you know, like not, not, it's the murder. (laughs) Um, yeah, and I I think the thing I also like about this is seeing, watching Buffy, you think of the four of them as like this unit, this like family, but like Darla and Angelus, I don't know, Darla, Drusilla and Spike to them were kind of like the annoying kids, right? Like, I don't think they like them that much. It's, yeah, it's it's giving Polycule with like complicated dynamics where like Drusilla, like, like Darla is... Angel's wife, Drusilla is her girlfriend, and Spike is Drusilla's girlfriend. <laughs> I think, yeah, and I think Drew is Angel's trophy. Yeah. Um, Angel, as the vampire that is always on the quest to be the evilest, to do the most, you know, the first thing he does is destroy the town that he's from, not his family, the town. I think that Drew, living in a state of eternal torment, is to him sort of a medallion he wears around to show. Yeah. Who he is. I think that's really accurate. All kind of assholes in the. (laughs) So, like, maybe they're not BFFs and all love each other. They all are just kind of assholes and they they are joined in that way. So, we, I, I, I still like to imagine them as this like fearsome foursome and they get along in their own individual interesting ways, but they're not like. You know, they're not like me and Ian or like you know, BFFs, BFFs who actually really love each other because they're evil. It's mean girls. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, even even vampires need enablers. <laughs> it's so that it's 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 the people that you hang out with because they don't make you feel bad when you are behaving badly, basically. <laughs> 
Philip. We all have that friend. <laughs> Philip, that's me and you when we went out drinking in New York. <laughs> oh my god, you have no idea. <laughs> I remember at one point, Philip, you were like, is it like, is, I forget what word you used, but you're like, should we do a shot? And I was like, should we? Yes, absolutely. And then we got disgustingly drunk. Um, but yes, uh, I also just like if this makes sense, like the, I guess what you've been saying, Philip, the Anne Rice of it all, like this feels very Anne Rice-y vampire. Like they're like, but they're like the super villains at this point, right? Before it was like, they're like eating a person here and there. Drusilla and Darla are like, you know, dressed in their fancy clothes. But this is like, also what Spike and Drusilla are wearing looks like coats they took off someone they killed. Like their their coats are both oversized, and it almost looks like yeah we killed someone and then we liked their coat so we took it. Oh yeah, they are they are looting, pillaging. They are like absolutely reveling in reveling in all the chaos. I would I would not be surprised if they had somehow started the Boxer Rebellion just so that they would have lots of you know people to feed on. Wait, that's it's, what I always yeah. assumed. That's what I always assumed this was supposed to like imply that they started. But is it just like they just happened to be there? Well, I, I don't know. You could you could also maybe infer that like Angel and Darla just have like a great nose for chaos, and they mm. they they take they go wherever the evil wind takes them. But but it's it's very like yeah, it it feels correct that they are at this place and time in history. And before we get to so sorry, before we get to the baby scene, I just want to an, another connection to Fool for Love. Um, Drusilla is bragging that Spike has just killed a Slayer. And Spike says, uh, oh, don't worry, Angel. Next time we cross paths with a Slayer, you can get first crack. And he does. <laughs> He's right. <laughs> God. Because obviously Spike goes on to kill Nicky Wood in the 1970s, but the next Slayer that Angel meets is Buffy, and he does indeed <laughs> get there first. <laughs> he does. Um, <laughs> and we get the slow motion walk, but we see more of Darla and Angel. I hated the slow motion walk. Oh really? I think I in full for love it was cool, but uh, Angel's wig. Wait, Kim, what do you hate about it? It was too long and it okay. should have looked actually cooler than it did. <laughs> and before, they just didn't they they looked like they thought they were very cool, but they weren't actually very cool. And mm. I I don't know. That's fair. That's fair. I mean the Angel's wig does look horrendous. I don't even know why they tried to blow it in the wind because, like, just makes it look worse. I feel like it just calls attention to the wig of it, the like how wiggy it is. Yeah, I do like the emotional face parts of it, yeah. but like we had already we already get that. Like we we already knew the things that the emotional faces were doing. So maybe if we didn't already know them, and the slow walk with the Darla and Angelus versus Spike and Drew emotional fate, like. Maybe then it would have been more meaningful, but I was like, no, we know this already. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, go ahead. I don't mind being the slow-mo walk defender, um, but uh, there's not much, very much to say other than I, I enjoy it. But I do think that the, the music in that sequence is particularly epic and does um, a fair amount of heavy lifting, but I certainly understand the complaints for sure. And I always remember the first, I think it's the first time we had James Marsters on that it was for fool for love and him saying that, he loved doing that jump. Like he thinks that jump looks like super cool. Um, like it was like one of his favorite things he did because he thinks it just looks so good. Well, and that's it. Like on Buffy, when it's Spike's side yes. of the story, it does look like better. Spike is a punk ass bitch character. <laughs> like that's, that's like getting that great. But when we're like panning over to angel 
it just sort of like it kind of it's like oh spike's over there having so much fun and you're just like ruining it (laughs) (laughs) you're killing the vibe (laughs) um yeah and so then we i I almost wish we had a little bit more spike and drusilla in this because drusilla's stuff is so good in this i love i loved seeing her with them before spike but we only got like what that one like bit um, I just enjoyed seeing what it was like before it was they all had their own partner. Like you said, Ian, it's like she was just the trophy because Darla didn't seem to... It seems like Darla probably started liking her more as they went along, but didn't like her at first at all. So whatever, we then cut to... Um, well, I guess we should talk about the present day stuff, I guess, right? Right. So um, Darla has been picked up by Wolfram and Hart and they are going to kill her but not really it's just a trap because they're driving her into Angel's arms for question mark yes which Wesley has been saying literally the whole episode yes. since the very yeah. beginning he's been like I think it's a trap I think it's a trap I still think it's a trap nope still probably a trap it's probably a trap so that's what pisses me off about Angel because it's Wes and Cordelia are right about him and Darla. The entire the entire season, they're right about why he shouldn't be there. And it only is going to get worse, right? Then he's going to fucking fire them later in the season for it. And it makes me mad at Angel. <laughs> the thing I find more and more distracting uh, on rewatches, um, the note I have is, what the hell are Wolfram and Hart's actual plans? There's so much must- mustache-twirling mystery box bullshit this season. <laughs> Like the writers want to move the characters to a particular place. And so the motivation is it's Wolfram and Hart's plan. But what is the plan? You know, it, the, oh, the yeah. there's a lovely bit of symmetry here where, uh, what's his name? Uh, the boss. Holland. 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 Thank you. I, drew, I just drew a blank. Holland says what he must do, what he will do, save her soul. And when the master first walked into um, Darla's room in Virginia, uh, he said to the doctor, "You can't save you can't save her body, but I can save her soul." And then he kills her. And so that's a nice little bit of symmetry foreshadowing. Then Darla asking Angel to turn her, but then he doesn't. And why would that help Wolfram and Hart's plan? And what is the plan? I don't understand what the plan is. Did did Holland know he was going to die? Is that what, where this is going? Because, boy, does he look really surprised in the wine cellar when the <laughs> wide eyes are open and Angel slams the door. I mean, I get the whole uh, – the and at various points, Lindsay says, we don't want him – we don't want him evil. We want him dark. So they don't want a, Angel to lose his soul. They're not trying to get Darla to sleep with him and have a moment of perfect happiness. Okay, then what is the plan? I why is, it was why they, is that the plan? I thought it was they don't want him dead. They want him dark. Or do they don't want I, him dead. They want him dark. I, I sure. always assume that they do want – they want Angelus because the prophecy is the vampire with the soul will play a, a role in the apocalypse. And they're like, oh, well, we have plans, so let's take his soul away. I don't, but, Holland, I, 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 but Holland says in this scene, we know there's no chance of a sexual intimacy between these two characters. He says to Lindsay, yeah, they're not going to hook up. We know that. Hmm. So what? How do they know anything? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and this this is the thing with having like um, an all powerful, you know, corporation as uh, your sort of background antagonist is. It's really great week to week to be like, oh, like those guys were behind it, like you know, and it's it's great world building. But then when it comes to like, okay, but what are their actual objectives? Right. 
the, the writers are sort of like you, you can just tell there's like a big question mark on the on the the wall in the writers room and they're like we will figure that out later yeah i've <laughs> like, never i've never quite made the jj abrams mystery box connection but in a way wolfram and hart's motivations and them just doing evil because don't worry there's a plan you'll see the plan but i'm not going to tell you the plan how dare you ask me what the plan is but there's a plan <laughs> you know like is such nonsense it like the thing is, but it works on the first run through, yes. which I think is the yes. only thing that the writers are obligated to provide is a strong, entertaining first run through where we're interested in the characters, what they're doing, their lives um, and sort of the drama and how this affects all of them. It's on those later run throughs where I'm like, huh? Right. And you're also, you know, they, they were working season to season. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And obviously, I think Wolfram and Hart works best when it's in the background. I think a lot of the stuff in season five that I enjoy is the character-led stuff and the standalone episodes. I think the Wolfram and Hart arc, like this grand master plan that this entire show ends on, I'm just like, I don't, what, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, it's the, all a bit like, uh. <laughs> The big attempt to tie it all together is, of course, Jasmine and the retcon, which there are one or two little bits here. In, I think, the trial, there's a scene where Darla is sitting in the courtyard outside of Wolfram, or not Wolfram and Hart, the Hyperion, and she's holding a flower in her hand, and she says, Jasmine, it blooms at night. As they are about to go and get, uh, go to the trial and get, Darla's second chance, but the second chance ends up being Connor. Not oh. that's 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 the 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 net result of the trial is the that's where the magic ability for them to have the baby comes from. So is it? Wait, really? Yeah. Ah. So the the I mean that's that's why that that's that is the explanation for they didn't win Darla's life because Darla's winning her living her second chance. But then uh, Connor is the net result of having th- that having happened. So, you know, I actually the, the, more and more, I don't hate the retcon. I hated the retcon the first time through, but uh, hate because, it so much. yeah, I get it. I get it. But because of that, I think the retcon makes this stuff feel like it works less in a weird way. I don't know. It's, it's very that like, I don't hate the retcon. Cause I, you can see that the writers were like, okay, we've got all these pieces we can kind of put them together and it kind of forms a picture, a picture that explains why this beloved character has just been torn apart by a creator who hates her. But in the moment when you're going back and revisiting the individual pieces is it's like, well, okay. yeah, no. Yeah. 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 And, and, and for the, if all four seasons led to Jasmine, then Jasmine should have been a complete season in and of um, herself, but yes, yes. You know, uh, the, the either the retcon doesn't work, but the Jasmine stuff is great, or the retcon works and the Jasmine stuff is anticlimactic. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious if I'll like it better when I get to it, but I don't know. Ian, I having rewatched season four very recently. Buckle up, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard. <laughs> going to be you and I complaining about dead things all over again. <laughs> it's going to be you and me and a bottle of Fireball. <laughs> <laughs> everyone will have quit by then. We keep watching, promising everyone Angel's worth it. So shh. <laughs> True. Yes. Oh, no. I mean, it's great. It's great until it's not, and then it's good, and then it's good again. Oh, yes. It's just all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, but anyway, this this episode, yes, this episode, yes. So Angel rescues Darla, and she basically we realize that the what uh, I, I, I am assuming what Wolfram and Hart have been driving her to is they want her so sort of 
driven to the despair that she doesn't want to be human anymore. She wants to be a vampire again, because again, it's going back to the hell that's familiar. Yeah. And so she asks Angel to turn her and they have this big conversation about, she thinks that she gave him a gift. He thinks that she cursed him. They It's intercut with scene, the scene of him grabbing the baby and running yes yeah. that's yeah. right yeah and, and and it's sort of like they're in like they're in like opposite right um sides like dala refusing to give um angel sucker as when he was in need and angel refusing to give dala the the you know the the turning that she that she wants and it leads to a very like i think it's like the second or third time in the season that she like she runs out into the sunlight where he can't follow and every single time i'm like mm, chef's kiss no yeah. notes it's yeah. just especially <laughs> that you and i have mentioned it before ian that dramatic ass staircase up to the lobby doors <laughs> it's just like i'm leaving now bye <laughs> yeah and it's such a good set for like that dramatic exit <laughs> yeah and i actually do like them inner like I don't know. I Tim, I'm curious what you think about them like doing the parallels. Is it too like heavy-handed or does it do you think it works? How would you grade that as a professor? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I liked it. I thought it was well done. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I got top grades, top marks. <laughs> um yeah, and then he jumps out the window with the baby, she runs out the doors. That's the end, right? Yeah, Darla says never look for me again. And in I there are so many times in this season when I'm like, oh, that's where she leaves for the rest of the season. But then I'm like, oh, right, no, she still has to get turned into a vampire before she can leave. And then in my brain, I was like, that's when she leaves. But no, then she uh-huh. still doesn't leave then. She's like living with Lindsay. The woman loves a dramatic exit. You know, I appreciate it. <laughs> can relate. Like, this is a woman who died and then was like, no, you're going to have another two years of me. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I guess we're at the end favorite scene philip i think that we may all have similar answers because this is a a great episode of flashbacks i'm gonna say i'm gonna say darla's turning scene in virginia with the master uh because it's just like oh this is the absolute core of who this character is and it's it's great yeah yeah uh ian i actually really love the the final scene darla ask we us thinking that darla is there to have uh angel show her the way towards redemption and she's really there to be turned and the moment where she shows her neck and there's a um there's been a nice parallel of darla and angel's relationship throughout the season to buffy and angel's relationship uh mm-hmm. you know various romantic beats that have been repeated here and there from uh, the crucifix when Buffy and Angel kissed, burning Angel's chest, to Darla burning Angel's chest with a crucifix and saying, God doesn't want you. And uh, her showing Angel her neck in this one is a repeat of Buffy showing Angel her neck in Angel Season 1, Episode 7, where she's showing Angel what he can do, what he's capable of, uh, his power. Um, by saying, look, here's my neck and uh, tempting him and saying, you're stronger. You don't need to do this. And Darla's doing again, the opposite, which is uh, uh, the, the, those beats repeated over and over. She wants to be turned. She wants him to succumb. And um, I just love him saying "Um, favor. You, you think you did me a favor. You damned me. This is, this abuse isn't love. It's a really powerful scene to me. Yeah. Yeah. Tim. An episode with Drusilla. 
<laughs> always usually gets a Drusilla favorite scene from me. So we're going to go back to 1880. And I love this, like we said, completely not necessary, but wonderful little peek into this moment when it's the three of them right before it becomes the four of them. And also like we see sort of like young vamp drew and how she's still, ah, when I bit into him, I could hear the ocean, right? Like she still (laughs) got that or already has that, that poetry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, my favorite scene is Darla and the master. I just, it's, I love a scene that doesn't feel like work, but is like a perfect example. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's, encapsulates Darla and it makes me love her. And I love her acting in that scene. She's like dying. She looks like a corpse, but she's still like, fuck you. Like she's still not pressed. And I love that. Um, Favorite outfit, Kim. All right. So we're going with China. Darla dressed up in that. It's the very last outfit she wears in the last China scenes. I don't know what to call it, but it's this beautiful color and the, the way that it, it's not symmetrical, which I love. And her the way her hair is up is just incredible. So that. All right. All right. Yeah. The, the like red jacket, that one. It's not red. It's like turquoise or like sea green or somewhere in between and has some flowers and it's got like gold on the edges. I want to call it a hem, but it's not in the place where oh, wait. I normally call a hem. You said Darla, not Drusilla. Yeah, right. Darla. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Philip. Uh, so I'm going to say exactly the same. I think it's called a Changsam, but I may be saying that completely wrong because um, I just looked it up. Uh, <laughs> it's just a really great detail. It's an ongoing character detail with Darla that she dresses for the occasion. She always understands the assignment. And every time they're in a new a new country, a new time period, she's like, oh, I get to like get a makeover. Like when we first meet her. Yeah in Sunnydale and she's like infiltrating this world of like, you know, the teenage vampire slayer. She's like, Oh, I'm going to dress like a schoolgirl. I'm going to be cute. <laughs> and she's just like, she enjoys clothes. She enjoys the finer things in life. And this, yeah, the, the rich turquoise silk, the hair is in a sort of kind of orientalist updo. It's, it's cultural appropriation, Barbie. I love it. <laughs> but you're right. I do like the idea of Darla being like, oh, we're going somewhere new. I better get an outfit. Because, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, same. Um, Ian? Uh, Darla in the sewer sequence looks like sunshine. I mean, is bright, uh, gorgeous, stands out, especially in contrast of standing next to the mayor. But um, that whole sequence, uh, or the master, excuse me, not the mayor, uh, the, that whole sequence, I'm, I think she's particularly striking. Yeah, yeah. And that's that outfit is kind of like more her go-to in the flashbacks, like that like genre of outfit. What is it? Like Marie Antoinette chic, I guess. That's what you said, Philip. Yeah, um, yeah, that like Victorian look. Yeah. I actually love Darla's red look from when they're doing the slow motion walk. I love that it's like, this like head to toe deep red uh, with the black trim and like the, the way the jacket fits her with the puffy sleeves. And then they like tighten at the end. I love it. Love that. And it's just great that like every outfit we've chosen, it's been from the flashbacks because they're so sumptuous and rich and in the present, she looks so washed out and, and hollow and unglamorous, which is definitely on purpose. Right. 
Oh, well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's 100%. It's like, oh, oh, here's the, the, you know, force of nature that she was versus the kind of uncertain shell that she is now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they, they've, they've just put her in like the dowdiest hoodie, but it's, yeah, it just, it makes the, the flashbacks just that much more um, luxurious. Ooh, I like that. Uh, what grade do we give this episode, Philip? So I think we had this problem when we talked about the prodigal, um, when, you know, or, or any flashback episode where it's like, the flashbacks are great. And then there's a sort of kind of investigation story in the present day tacked on. And it's two, you're, you're basically having to judge two episodes. And the flashbacks are A+. plus. It's it's character work, it's backstory, it's uh, great historical fiction, it's baroque vampire drama. The the modern day stuff suffers a little bit because it's like it's an interstitial chapter in a much longer story, and it's not one of the more enjoyable ones. Yeah. So I'm gonna say B. Okay, uh, Ian. I'm a solid A. I like both. I like okay. the uh, soul sucking, soul searching drama and all of that in in the modern times. And uh, uh, I think the flashbacks are wonderful. Professor Kimberly Ann. All right. So I am also going to give it a B. I will say I think the flashbacks are great. What I love about the angel and what I love about Buffy is that the cast of characters. So what, what I love about the contemporary times would be you know, the interactions between Angel and Gunn and Wes and Cordy. And we just don't get that. We just get a lot of, okay, it's called Darla, of course, Darla and like Lindsay, like who the F cares about Lindsay, really? I don't know. So I feel like that my, my B lands more that in this, the, the other things I've liked about the episodes in this season have been that character building stuff. And we just, we only are building the character of Darla in this episode called Darla. I guess the episode yeah. understood the assignment. I just did not care for the assignment. B. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm going to go B plus because I do love the flashbacks, but yeah. And I love the, the building of Darla, but yeah, there's just a little bit too much of like, what is Wolverman Hart's plan? What is the plot? And then the like forward motion is, this is why I didn't love this season so much. Again, the first like few times I watched it because it is, there's so much sitting around with Darla and like, once she leaves, I'm like, never again. Don't give me any more of Darla sitting in a room where she's like doing good acting, but just sitting in a room talking because I, I, I'm, I'm, go- I'm all full on that. But it still is a good episode, and I still love all the flashback scenes. I love, I love anytime they can bring back a character. Like Angel sometimes brings back characters that you don't remember, where it's like, oh yeah, this guy, he was in the bar in five episodes ago, or like in Reprise and Epiphany to bring up uh, episodes we were talking about earlier, Ian, when the guy from Are You Now or Have You Ever Been comes back into play, but like who the fuck remembered him um, and then just dies two seconds later. But I love seeing the master because it's like, yeah, remember that guy? Like, I just, I don't know. I like that shit that the Buffyverse does so well that I always like. All right. Well, thank you all for joining me. Thank you all for listening. If you like SlayerFest98, you can find us on all social media platforms at SlayerFestX98. If you want to find us on YouTube, we are on YouTube. Uh, We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and give us a good rating if you like the podcast. 
And uh, like I said, if you want to support us, we are on Patreon. And if you want to follow my personal, I'm at Ian X Carlos. Philip, where can everyone find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, like for now, maybe maybe not for much longer, uh, at Philip underscore Ellis. That's Philip with one L and Ellis with two. I'm on Instagram at Philip Ellis. And I am on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, bookshop.org, anywhere you buy books. Uh, Love and Other Scams, Romantic Comedy Caper by me. Go buy it, please. And Kim, where can everyone find you? You can find me at Kim and Joe South on Twitter and all the replacements that we are finding for Twitter and um, KimberlyAnnSouthwick.com. And Ian, where can everyone find you? I am YouTube.com slash Passion of the Nerd and um, been on a bit of a hiatus for the past couple of months, but coming back with a discussion of Intervention, which is uh, written and we are editing right now. Nice, nice. Um, All right, well, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.